Hey everybody, welcome to the Cast. I'm your host, Charlie Behrens, and this is the podcast where we talk to people for and or from the Midwest. We are brought to you by Jolly Good Soda, and here is today's episode. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Cast. Today, my guest is comedian Sam J. She's got a new special out on HBO called Salute Me or Shoot Me. It's super funny. Uh, she's also been a writer on SNL, the first black and lesbian writer, I believe, in the show's history. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also a writer for You People and Bust Down. And she is the co-creator and co-star of the HBO comedy series Pause uh, with Sam J. So make sure you check out all of those. And uh, my conversation with her is coming up in a second before we get to that i am joined virtually in the cripescast studios by colleen maraca colleen what's cooking up in minnesota huh um there's snow on the ground snow on the ground in milwaukee we got that in common we've got that in common yeah um but yeah it's we got the christmas lights up this last weekend um i'm looking out at my parents lake it's not it's like frozen every morning it has a sheet and then it like kind of goes away so this looks like it's staying a little bit longer but um they have like a bet every year with their like neighbors of whoever chooses the right date or whoever's like the farthest from the date has to get like beer for the first like party oh really yeah when it like officially freezes over and then also when the ice comes back or when it like goes in the spring so um yeah, the lake freezing games are a lot of fun i was in menominee wisconsin at one point and they in the winter they drive a car out on the ice and then you bet on the day that the car falls through the ice now let me also say i think that the car don't don't have the its engine in it anymore because that's technically a fine from the dnr yeah um they do something to it but anyway yeah you bet on when it falls through the ice who says we're say, not fun up here in the Midwest? You know, no, no. I was gonna say, like, first of all, whose car is second? Like, is it the loser of the last year? Like, their car goes. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that'd be funny. Doesn't yeah. matter what car it is. Yeah, gotta take the engine out, have someone trailer it out there by the dude who won. The dude who wins has to has to gets gets to. Mm-hmm. Trailer it out there, drop it off, and then everyone gets to bet on that. Man, that's fun. I like those high stakes situations i like real losers i don't just like real winners i want real losers too someone where like it's got real hurt. consequences yeah yeah fair enough that's we wonder why like our earth is going to hell because we like use cars to pollute the lakes yeah well that's also what they take the engine apparently they take everything out that's going to do anything bad because if you just essentially have the frame well that's not true because there's probably I can't stuff imagine, on like there. the little ecosystem below is like excited for a truck to like demolish their home that they've built. Well, see, here's where you're wrong. Here's where you're wrong, Kelly, okay. because fish love structure. You dump a cart. They don't. I mean, as long as there's not a lot of gas in it, but that gas will go away eventually. And the fish are going to make that that their little coral reef. And they love structure because structure. Have you talked to the fish? Have they told you that? Yeah. Um, Structure allows you to hide from a bass. You know what I mean? Like you can get in these little nooks and crannies where a bass can't get you. Haven't you seen um, Finding Nemo or The Little Mermaid? Uh, Isn't that a commentary about like people 
leaving their junk in the ocean and like not taking care of the earth. Yeah, but they also use those things. I'm look, I'm not saying you should do this. I'm not saying you should. Sounds like a, you are, but no, a better way to do it is um drop a Christmas tree. Drop your Christmas tree down in front of your dock. That's a natural structure. That's pretty pretty much its natural habitat. And so anywhere you create structure underwater is where fish will be. Like if you see trees falling off the side of the pond or off the side of the lake, you know that's probably going to be an okay bass spot. If you see weeds growing, you know you're going to have a lot of bluegill, a lot of perch, probably some northerns slinking around there, you know, especially if it's a nice sunny day, you know, or even a rainy day. Northerns don't care much about the weather. Yeah, my kind of a... My parents live on a, um, you've been here, but like they have a part of the lake where it's like, it's probably like a football field's worth of like pretty shallow, like the deepest it gets is five feet for a really long time. So it's tons of weeds. So my dad gets like a lot of good fish in the morning. Like this area is like, there's always fishing boats coming by our house. Yeah. You got that good Um, structure. But to be fair, um, for the Christmas tree, I prefer to like when it's dud, like where you put it in a fire and it goes like. Whoosh. Oh yeah, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fun. That's um, that's how the Canadian uh, forest fires started this past year. Someone they just burnt their Christmas trees on a really windy day. That's not true at all, but I I bet you that someone started. Were you trying a to make me feel bad somewhere. or something? Is that what you're I was to- attempting? But then I was like, you know what? That's not nice. That's not nice. You see how I like I didn't change my face at all. Like I didn't believe it. Yeah. Uh, but those things, it is fun to burn a Christmas tree. Those things go up, man. Real quick. Um, how was your Thanksgiving? Hung out, did the Thanksgiving things, cleaned the basement. Did you really? Yeah. I mean, I cleaned, I would say half of it, like the the business half where all the merch is and the wardrobe. Nice. And I, I reorganized it and I put stuff out because everything was in boxes. And man, I'm bringing this up because what an, an emotional experience cleaning stuff up. I did the thing where it's like, do I really need this? And I got, I, I got like, there's a whole truckload ready to go to Goodwill. I found some relics from when I was a kid, you know, I just threw them out and just felt lighter because of it, you Whoa. know? old relationships, things that people had given me, ornaments that have never come out of the box. Oh, that's and I was so like, fair. I was like, you know what? I went over to my brother and his wife's house and I was helping them with Christmas decorations because Megan's like about to give birth. So she couldn't like do a ton. And um, <laughs> we were going through their ornaments and stuff. And like, she has like a box of ornaments that she had like from her childhood. And then there's some ornament, like, it's such a like a parent grandparent thing to give an ornament for a specific year, you know, like, yeah, like, yeah. So <laughs> my Nona, my grandma, she got us all like um two ornaments for 2020. One of them was like the year we'll never forget. And it's like all of the things that were like canceled because of 2020. And then she got us a Santa with a mask on it. And we're like, why do you want things that remind you of like the worst year? of like our life like it just was such a funny like choice 
that she gave us those ornaments. And so we're like putting it up on the tree. And Megan's like, I think we could keep that one in the box. <laughs> 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 you know, you know, like, we could, let's put up ornaments of like the year we got engaged, like our dog, all that stuff. She's like, I don't really want to remember like the year that we had to like move our wedding. And I was like, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And isn't that funny? Like, um, like, I feel like a lot of people, I, I also came up with a lot of 2020 stuff in the box of crap that I had down there. And I think you just like, you just like take a big, uh, you want to shove that thing into something else as soon as possible. Yeah. It's weird. I wonder if enough time will go by that we'll look at it nostalgically. I mean, there's like, there's always silver linings. Like there were some things in it. Like I'd say, like, I wouldn't have gotten this job if it weren't for COVID. Like that's for sure. And then. Um, really? Why? Because everywhere else wasn't hiring. Oh, get the hell out of here. Oh my <laughs> God. Wow. No, Did but like. Did you guys what? all, that was the sickest burn that <laughs> I think you've ever that. done. Like, no, but like, let me explain. It ended up being like the best thing that's happened to me. Like, I, I'm not going to like, but I it, I wouldn't have applied because I, I had like other jobs that were like, I was going through and it was a complete, remember when we first talked about my job and you were like, what's your goal? And I was like, healthcare communications, like what a losery goal for me. Yeah. Do you remember that at all? Probably not. You know what? I really don't. But if you would have said healthcare communications, um, I would probably. I mean, that is a goal for some people. No, but, then, just, but then shortly after we were on the phone, this is the first time you and I had like ever talked. And I was like, well, like dream, dream job would be to like write a TV show. And you were like, why did you say healthcare communication? Like, you yeah. Yeah. I, I was confused. Like, why are you already setting yourself up for what you don't want to do? What was that inside you that made you want to do that? I had already had experience doing that. I had worked previously at healthcare communications. I was doing classes that like were doing that. So I, and my family's in healthcare. So Got like it. it was, it was not necessarily a dream, but more realistic step. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was, it wasn't really a dream. Let's like, let's be realistic here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, sure. This is the best job of my life. And like, this is the best job I could ever ask for. And like, I love my job so much. Oh, you really saved yourself. Yeah. No. And, yeah. yeah. Don't uh, worry about it. Um, no, did you ever like walk by the toilet paper aisle or like you see like real Purell and you're like, man, there was a time where none of these were like available. Like, I feel like I look at like real Purell, like name brand. And I was like, I remember when that currency was King, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. I do know that. I, I also remember, well, we still have some remnants of it around as well. Like I stay in a lot of hotels. I can't tell you the number of hotels that individually wrap each coffee cup in this little plastic thing. Wasn't that before that, though? I don't know. That's the dumbest thing in the world. It's a coffee cup. What's it going to to individually wrap every single coffee cup? We deserve to breathe in plastic as people if that's the dumb stuff we're doing, you know? Wow. I mean, we deserve it. We do this to ourselves. It makes no, no rational sense, no mathematical sense. No scientific sense to wrap a cup. What are you afraid of? You know? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. That's, I I, hang on. 
Hang on. I can barely see you down there. I'm on my high horse. Let me just get it. Can you get the ladder? Put it up to the horse. No, you can just jump off and risk the sprained ankle. It's going to be more than a sprained ankle as high as I am. <laughs> that but was a fake laugh. That was a fake laugh. Who, me? Yeah, you. I called you out. You called me out on my fake laughs. I call you out. I can That's tell fair. your fake laughs. Don't, yeah, you don't I, need to patronize me on my own podcast. The people listening know too. That wasn't a good joke. Knows. It was such a good joke. And I love my job. Thank you so much. <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> All uh, right. Okay. What else do we got to talk about here? Do we have anything um, else we have to announce to the people? Well, so you have a second show in New York that was announced. Um, and then I think you're all sold out in Eau Claire, but there might be like single seats left. So that's like the shows coming up in December. I believe those are the only ones that you have. Yep. And of course, we've got the new album out, Dive Bar Dinner. Yes. I uh, got that on mantwalkman.com. If you guys are into music, check it out, or you can find it on Spotify. You know, give it a sample before you decide to get the vinyl. We do have vinyls. It's great. I really like, and I'm not even saying that with like, I'm not even saying that. I'm just like, I, it's really good. It's a lot. It's it's great. Well, thank you. I can yeah. tell that feels much more authentic than that. Laugh. Yeah. And then yeah. I was just looking at your, um, tour dates that's why but um eau claire yeah everything sold out for those shows new york city we added another show and then come january you're gonna be touring quite a bit we have like a leg of shows in north dakota and then you're gonna be going out east and then you're coming back to like of shows in illinois and then we have some in minnesota so it's just check it out there's a lot of new dates being added in the new year so that's what i would say to any updates there sounds great and before we get to the conversation with sam just want everybody to know that uh we will be linking up uh doctors without borders in the show notes um obviously there is a humanitarian pause a true ceasefire of some sort going on right now and this is a time when a lot of um, trucks can get into Gaza and um, bring all sorts of things, everything from anesthesia to food to um, water and Doctors Without Borders organization we've been supporting for a while. You can donate directly doctorswithoutborders.org. You can follow them on uh, all the social media and um, donate there as well. All right. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is my conversation with comedian Sam Jay. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for jumping on. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Oh, it was decent. I can't complain. My own fiance's family came over. Oh, that's she, cool. She kicked it with her family. I always think Thanksgiving's a good time to get material. My little niece, she was, uh, she had this little, uh, baby lamb this little mm -hmm. lamb doll and she put it in the seat of like her little vanity with the mirror and uh she said uh the lamb is gone but don't worry it's always in your heart and i was like where the hell You're like three years old man three years old i was like where did you learn Sweet. that yeah it was Anyway, so I'll find some way to make fun of that. Um, so uh, your new special is great. I really loved it. Um, and I thought um, just uh, the jokes are hilarious, the relationship stuff and um, all the things about empathy is cool. Were you kind of setting out to um, to almost tackle empathy in a way with that? Or did that kind of happen over time? It just kind of happened over time. Like, 
uh, I was just kind of trying to figure out what the theme was and the conversations. And it was kind of closer to like the last few months I was touring that just seemed like empathy was just an idea that just kept coming up. And I think overall, it's just kind of a a thing that comes up in my art. Yeah, it's um, certainly something that um, resonates quite a bit today where, you know, it's stuff you brought up. People are very busy yelling at each other and all that. Um, like where do, do you think like there's been a shift? Was it just social media that shifted it? I know it's been an issue all along, but I feel like it's been heightened and heightened. Did, a do shift you feel, like what way? Like I feel like we've become more more and more polarized since maybe mm. 2008 or something, mm-hmm. maybe 2000. And mm-hmm. maybe it's just because I haven't been paying attention to it or wasn't looking before, but I think we've just become more and more polarized as a country going red or blue or whatever. And then mm-hmm. we just seem to be doing this, you know, to the extremes. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, I think it's a little, definitely social media, the ability to, uh, I guess, tailor your, your information, you know, like the algorithm just feeds you what you want to see rather than, the diversity of opinion and what's going on in the world. So if you're like, like I read, for example, just with this Israel and Palestine situation, I read like two things that were pro-Palestine and now that's all that comes on my feed. There's no like information. There's no like, you know, unbiased party. Now all I get is all this pro-Palestine stuff. So it's like, if I was someone who didn't want to go do other research or read anything else or look anywhere else just to get a rounded view so I could form my own actual opinion. And I just deep dive into that rhetoric. Then I, that's all I believe. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't have any other source of information. So I think people are just having these really singular conversations (laughs) with themselves and their computer. And, um, you know, that's not healthy. Yeah, no, it's, it's not. Yeah. Especially in that issue. Um, I, I feel like you're, you're hard one way, you're hard with a, a different way. And, and we've taken teams. We just take teams with everything, you know, with everything. it's like shirts or skins, you know? Yeah. Do you think there's any way <clears throat> around that or coming back from that? I mean, it's hard because we've allowed this to now be the way we get information, which is, I think very dangerous um and like you know through that it feels like we're not even like uh it's no regulation like at least when you had to put something in a newspaper like there's a process so that it has to be factual you've had to do some level of fact checking and if, if it comes back to be untrue you have to do a redaction like legally and say hey we found out that this thing we printed is not true like a blogger doesn't have any obligation to do that a blogger can just say some shit and then just go about their business and it's like people are are getting more and more of their information from invalid sources um because they don't trust the sources that we validated and that's also not their fault uh you know this country is built on a lot of lies and people are starting to discover that and they're becoming distrusting of our institutions as a result of that and searching for information in other places. So it's a really like a rock in a hard place type situation because you can't fault people for their lack of trust and seeking out information in the way that they are. But also like there needs to be some gatekeeping to preserve the uh, integrity of the conversations. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like that old school, like, 
local like neighborhood journalism type thing, which has always been underfunded, finding a way for people to care about that to the point where there, there'd be money behind it or something. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know, we're probably not going to solve that issue, uh, here today, but fun to chit chat about. (laughs) So, uh, where, um, where did you, uh, grow up and, and how'd you get your start in comedy? Uh, I grew up in Boston and then I moved to Atlanta for a little while, like college age. And then, um, came back to Boston. Uh, I started comedy in Boston. You know, I started at Mike's, like very typical, just going to a bunch of open mics in the city, bar shows, and, you know, three minutes turns to five minutes, five minutes turns to 10, 10 turns to 15, and you just keep building the time and and the process of building the time, building your reputation. And that got me to do some stuff outside the city and that allowed me to move around and it just kept kind of building from there. Yeah, kind of um, the old school um, method of stand-up as opposed to like some clips blowing up online and then you can sell out shows or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't um, do it that way. Do you do you have uh, some thoughts about uh, comedians who do it that way? Do you have, It's a different way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just all, there's all these different approaches now. You know, I don't know, like, it's weird because you never want to be like hating on anybody or, you know, knocking anybody's hustle. But I will I will say like the, the quality, I don't know, the quality of comedy, I think, has gone down. I think it's because people can just go online and and they can blow up through those type of means and kind of, um again, tailor the experience. You know what I mean? They can take crowd work clips or clips to their set and then they could funnel it in a way where even if the show was dead and it was horrible, they could make it not look like that for the person viewing on the internet. You know what I'm saying? And then kind of skip a step, you know, of going through like the necessary growing pains that kind of grow you as a comic and, and, and grow your, your POV, you know what I'm saying? And then they gotta, you know, get an agent because they have however many followers and the agents don't, they don't fucking care. Like, you know, I hate to, you know, be a, a dick about it, but they don't care about the integrity of fucking stand up. They care about making money. So if you can fill a, a, a large venue, they're going to tell you to fill it, even if you're not ready to do it, even if your material is not at a place to hold that type of space for an hour, they'll just go like, sure, you know, and then you'll make money. So you're not going to stop. You, you're making 40 K in a weekend. Are you going to stop making 40 K in a weekend? Because I'm saying, Oh, that's not good comedy. No. Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. So you just keep going, you know? And I think, you know, just how music kind of got fucked up in that kind of same way. It's, it just starts to degrade and, and, um, you know, disintegrate the quality of what what's out there. And then if the audience is, get used to low quality then they think that is quality it it changes the whole thing yeah that's really interesting comparing it to music because it used to be the album is what people wanted like how to make a good album then it became a hit and now it's like um for tiktok it's right it's a sound and they they build the album in some cases around the sound if there's even an album or it's just the hook which is I don't know. I mean, it's it's a different way of thinking about it. But at the end of the day, that's really interesting. What you're saying is that the audiences get used to that. And then um, we just, <laughs> I mean, we just kind of, 
Yeah, it becomes a standard. And it, I mean, I don't know if that, that kind of gives, you know, someone like you an advantage where you're like schooled in coming up on. So when they see you, they're blown away. But have you seen differences in audiences where they're coming and maybe like prompting like crowd work things? Or have you seen a difference in your audience? I mean, I feel like audiences in general, because of all the crowd work videos and, and, and um, all that, they, they're, they're more chatty. They, they'll talk at you more because they think they're helping. They think, you know, sometimes they're coming to be a part of the show now, like, which, I mean, you know, for me and my style, like, I, I don't particularly appreciate it. But mm -hmm. I guess if you're there to do crowd work, then it, that works for you. You know what I mean? But um, I do think audiences are a little more chatty and they they do like I just never want the audience to feel like I'm dependent on them to do it. It's like this is a shared experience, but I'm up here. I know what I'm I'm out here to do. And like it, it isn't reliant on you doing anything. You know what I'm saying? Not even really laughing. You know, that would be nice. But what I have and what I know that I want to do isn't reliant on that. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. It just it does feel like they feel a little bit more uh, in, in, empowered in a way that can be annoying. Yeah. What was your first stand up experience like your first mic or whatever? Uh, like the very first time I did stand up, I don't really remember it. I just remember it, it, it wasn't good. And I was like, mm, this wasn't good. I just remember it, it didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel. Whatever connection I thought I was going to feel when I got on stage, I didn't feel that. And it wasn't good. And I was just like, eh, I don't know about this. And then I kind of just kind of fell back from it for, for some years. And then when I got back up and I did my first open mic, it was kind of like I got booed. And then I was kind of like, mm. it didn't really like. I knew I was going to keep doing it because I wasn't like devastated by getting booed or anything. I was just like, I don't know. Shit happens. You're going to get booed sometimes, I guess, if you keep doing this and you're trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? So it didn't like destroy me. So I was like, oh, OK, I think you you're ready to do this. Like whatever I was in my head about, which is probably a million things. I was so young, you know, at that first time I was probably like 21. I, I hadn't even come out yet. I, I didn't even fully understand myself. So I'm sure I was just lost, period. And being up there and, and so exposed in that moment kind of magnified for me how actually lost I was. But the next time I, I, I knew me and I knew myself and I, I was I was very sure of who I was and what I wanted. And so I felt that up there. And I, and that was really the confidence I, I pulled on till I figured out how to do it. So 21, that was the first time you went up or that was when you went back up? No, that was the first time I went first up. Time. And you said it was like a couple of years since you got back on stage after that first time? Mm -hmm. So what, what drove you to get on stage the first time? I wanted to do it. But then you do it and you just said, well, that's not for me. And then did something push I you back on simple. stage? I don't think it's that yeah. easy. I did it and it wasn't, it didn't feel right. And I had a friend and he we were like, yeah, we went out to do it together and he had crushed. And I was like, oh, that's what it's supposed to be like. So then I kind of was just like hanging around comedy, kind of trying to just figure it out, go to shows and shit. Then I got sick and I was in the hospital for a while. Then when I got out, I was like dealing with shit with my family. So I moved, you know, just life happens. Yeah. And I moved to Atlanta and I lived a little bit and I, I was doing other shit. It's just life, you know.
yeah. life brought me back around to it. So I, I don't think it was that black and white, but you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I got you. I got you. And then so you just the next time you went up, you feel like uh, ready to do it? Or was it like, did you have more of a set on it or like good material you thought or was it kind of the same? I mean, I didn't have like I wasn't really doing it. So it's not like I had a set. It just was a confidence thing. It's just a, a, a knowledge of self thing that was more intact than when the first time. So. I just had more confidence I was going to be able to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I just asked, we got, we got a lot of standups. I listen to the podcast and I, the first time I went up, I, um, yeah, I just bombed so hard. I didn't even go back up for six months. So I'm just always interested in those stories of like, I went up and then left for a while, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're doing, um, standup at that point. Is it kind of just a thing you're, doing because you you enjoy it or were you at that point of like no i am gonna do this no i was from the door i was like this is what i'm gonna do what were you doing to just live life at that point and pay the bills i had a bunch of i i feel like right when i got to boston what was i doing i really don't remember what the fuck my first job was <laughs> but i mean i was like i think i was working at the giant Hancock in the mailroom uh, yeah. i know i did that for a while I think that's what I was doing. God, so you were doing something to pay the bills and, mm -hmm. and doing that. Um, what, like the Boston comedy scene, how is that, um, how is that different than maybe other comedy scenes you've been to and experienced? I don't know that it is. I guess it's just smaller. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like, smaller, yeah. Like scenes of scenes, like comedy is kind of the same everywhere you go. You have, yeah. your local, you have your local comics, you have your bar shows, you have a few clubs that everyone's trying to get into. You have the bookers everyone hates. You have the one booker who's kind of the gatekeeper of the city. Same shit. I mean, but it's also like every every time you level up, you're in a different scene. You know what I'm saying? So I can't really. I was an open biker in Boston that moved to somewhat of a regular at clubs. Then I moved to L.A. Um, back in the open mic scene, but not in the same way, like. Cause at least people know me now. So it's different, you know, it's different than walking in a scene and nobody knows who the fuck you are. No one's ever heard you tell a joke. No one has any references of you. And you're kind of fighting your way through that scene to landing somewhere. And people are like, Oh, that's Sam J. I heard about her. She's funny. Da, da, da. And you're kind of moving through that a little easier. Then by the time I get to New York, I'm not in an open mic scene. I'm not doing, but I don't know. So honestly, I don't know what the fuck they're doing to be quite honest yeah. with you. Cause I don't do that. So it's like, you know, but I'm yeah. sure it's to some degree the same, you know what I mean? As how it works. No, no, no. Yeah. That, that totally makes sense. Um, what, what was sort of the moment where, uh, you kind of got like that big break or that moment? Was it, um, the comedy set or did it, has it all just felt like a gradual climb? It all just feels like, I, I mean, objectively someone looking in would probably say something i don't know i don't know what they would say but they would probably feel like oh the big break has happened in my mind it hasn't yet because i, I but also i don't know what that is really you just keep doing shit you're like you like a joke I mean? at a time kind of a thing you just keep doing shit like you know i think i'll feel like oh it's happening what i want to see happen but that that club to theater transition really happens and i'm consistently in theaters and kind of moving into that space. Then I think I'll feel like, oh, okay. This is the 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 build I wanted to see. But like, so I don't know that it's, it's like a big break. You just keep working. Yeah. 
Is that um, the goal for you? If you could do anything, would it be just straight doing stand up, kind of selling out those theaters, one tour, do a special, another tour, do a special? Or I know you're doing TV as well. I know you're writing as well. Is Do you have like where you want to take it in an ideal world? I just want to be able to make stuff. I don't know that it's like, oh, the, the ultimate goal is to do theaters. That is a goal. For sure. It's one of the many goals I have and it's an important one to me. But, you know, I, I want to write a book. I want to I want to develop like a show, like a network show. I'd like to take a crack at, you know, making classic television and what that feels. I just like want to be able to make stuff and create for as long as I can. I don't know that it lives in any particular box like that. Yeah. How do you think the network um shows and all that. I mean, we just had this writer strike and everything. Do you think those are going to continue to be like a mainstay and like sort of um, how people like are entertained or do you think like they'll fade? Do you think they'll find sort of a new thing with the streamers? Do you have any thoughts on all that? I mean, but the streamers are just making network shows. It, it, it's not different. It's not like the streamers doing something different. They're just making sitcoms and series. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're just in a more flooded pool over there, you know? Yeah. So but it's it's not, you know what I mean? Stuff. Like the, the, the thing isn't different. I think people will like succumbs feel good and people will always, you know, like that stuff, like thematically they, they might mature how they are written can change because, you know, the way we view TV and process TV and just, you know, we process things differently than we did 20, 40, 30, 60, you know, whatever. So all that stuff, of course, it, it, it always changes. But I think the, the base of it, you know, won't. I think the streamers aren't like they're not reinventing the wheel. They're just, you know, repackaging it. Yeah. I mean, you don't think that idea of like we're all so used to like doing this, that 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 format is going to go away. You think that format will always kind of be there in some way, the lo longer form thing? Yeah, I mean, I think we over uh, obsess about that. I think we and we also like we also lean too heavily on like letting the youth dictate stuff. And it's like they're they're fucking kids. They don't know. So, yeah. yes, a kid who's running around outside and has their phone probably only will sit still for 15 minutes and watch something. But when that kid turns 30, they'll probably watch television. Yeah. I just wonder like if all these brains are built around, you know, this from like the time you're like being babysat now, you know, I mean, I was watching my niece and I was like, here, just watch this for a little bit. You know that I punted immediately, you know, so, yeah, but how is that different than TV was for us when we were young? You know well, what I mean? Like, you can't do that, you know, but you can do that. You can do this. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. I just like thinking about that stuff just from uh, where is it all going? But I guess it doesn't really matter. You know, it's going to do what it's going to do. It's going to do what it's going to do. And there'll be some version of it is all I'm saying. I don't think it goes away. I think it'll just be a new version of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Folks, excuse the interruption, but I want to thank our title sponsor, Jolly Good Soda. If you're a fan of the show, you know I love Jolly Good Soda ever since I was a kid making those old fashions for my grandpa with a little Jolly Good Soda. I use the sour power. Goes good with brandy. 
And then uh, if you're looking for a root beer float, maybe try the uh, try the Jolly Good root beer. It is superior to other root beers out there. And I would not just say that because they're the title sponsor. It is some good root beer. Try it for yourself. Check them out. Jollygoodsoda.com. And um, also, folks, Fleet Farm. We've officially passed Thanksgiving, which means the winter months are coming. And you'll want to make sure your car is ready for all the weather that is coming. Fleet Farm is your place to go for everything you need under and over the hood this winter. They've got tires from top brands like Goodyear and Cooper, batteries and fluids for every type of car, truck, need wiper blades. They've got them looking for a new snow brush. They've got some of that, and they'll extend so far. You might be able to brush your car from the inside if you have a very flexible arm. Anyway, find all your winter auto essentials this year at the Fleet Farm. And folks, if you are looking for Midwest merchandise, if you are looking for uh, koozies or the new Dive Bar Dinner album from yours truly, head on over to CripesCast.com, click on the merch section, We've got ugly Christmas sweaters and, and, and cards and bottle openers and a whole lot more. Check us out, cripescast.com. You got stuff outside of comedy to, that kind of like keeps your brain, uh, I don't know, just doing something that has nothing to do with career. I like have my little hobbies, you know. I also, you know, I have a fiance. We go out, we hang out, we do stuff. Uh, so, you know, I have that balance of like, work in life in that way. Um, well, I mean, I, I would say I'm pretty career focused at this stage. What, what are some of your hobbies? I like to play with Legos. I, I read, you know, nice. What Lego set you got going right now? You got a set not, or you just got a box? I'm not building anything right now. I have like four sets. I, I could, I need to do. I'll get to them. Yeah. Are yeah. you, uh, are you a build them and uh, display them or are you a build them and box them? No, I'll build it and I'll leave it out until something breaks and then I'll take it all apart and usually put them all in a bag and then I like donate it to like a school or some kid center. Oh, nice. Yeah, that way you don't step on them or anything. Squares. <laughs> um, what was the last book you read? The last book I read was called Fly Away. It was about this woman whose best friend dies and then like how her best friend's family gets all messed up as a result. And she was supposed to like help raise the daughter, but she gets all messed up as a result. And then kind of like how the family comes back together. It was a little bit like beaches in a book, but it was nice. Nice. You were saying that you want to do a book yourself. Would it be a fiction? Would it be an, an autobiography? You're mm. up for whatever. I will. I know when I, when I want to, I'll start writing it and it'll, it'll reveal itself. It'll tell yeah. me what it is. I remember, I think it was one of your earlier stand-up specials. You were talking about sort of why representation matters and um, and just having um, having something in your life where you could say, oh, yeah, that's me. I identify like that. Do you feel like since you've started your career that um, you've received feedback from fans about your representation? I guess like do people reach out and tell you what you've kind of done for them? Are they outward sometimes, about it? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes people will be like, Oh, you know, like, uh, I'm a black gay woman and it's dope. Keep going, you know, stuff like that. So I think, yeah, sometimes people 
we'll reach out. I, I think, you know, whenever you can feel like you can relate to something that you're seeing, especially when you're not used to seeing yourself, it's probably cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I guess on the other end of that question, do you feel pressure at all in in, in that or in being mm. something for somebody or feeling the need to no. do things right? Because I, I really can't control that because I don't know these people personally. I don't know what they need. I don't know what's correct or incorrect for them. I don't know them. So all I could do is live according to me, what I believe, what, I, what I've grown to learn, the lessons that I've learned, take them with me, try to be a better person every day, you know, try to improve upon myself and, and improve upon how I'm, I'm treating people in the world. That's all I can control. I can't really control the rest. So if I, if I put that in my head, then I'm kind of running a, a race I can't win. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and I know that's, that's, I mean, that's a great answer. That's very on point. I just wonder if like somewhere deep inside there, there's a pressure that kind of, um, gets to you in one way or another. I guess it, what, what would be like the biggest pressure point of sort of like your career? Things aren't going the way I want them to go. Yeah, <laughs> I see things a certain way and when it doesn't happen that way, or I'm like, I feel it's, it's pressures I put on myself. It's not anything to do with anybody. It's just like, I think it should be this and it's not this yet. And why isn't it this yet? And what do I need to do to make, get it to this? And like, that's the kind of stuff that nags at me, but uh, like, uh, like, some type of societal pressure to achieve, or I, I just, I don't entertain that kind of stuff. Got you. When you do get to a point, like you got an HBO special, you got a show, you know, you, you great writer. Do you feel like when you get to a point where you're like, oh yeah, I've got this. When you're not necessarily looking for the next thing to climb, are you afraid that something's gonna push you down? off that mountain or are you trying to like look for things that can that can uh, affect you like is your brain always going from climbing or preventing falling i think i'm always going for climbing i think if i'm afraid of anything it's that fear of like i don't want to not lose my love for it because it's become my job and i don't ever want it to turn into solely that like sometimes it is work but i don't want it to become only work like so I, I try to protect it. You know what I'm saying? Like I try to be, to just make sure I'm doing things that are in line with things I believe in to make sure like when I'm making decisions, I'm not making them from a space of money, but I'm making them from a space of, I want to do this. So I, I find some value in this. You know what I'm saying? I try to, when I am feeling run down by it to take my space from it, you know, try to learn how to be, better with my money so i'm less dependent on it financially so that i know that i'm making the decisions when i want to i just never want it to be a job i never want to get up and go like i have to do this comedy shit because i have to eat and if i don't do this then i won't eat and like i just never want to have that type of relationships i had with a job with comedy and i think if anything that's the fear that i, I have yeah yeah, I get that. I think um, that idea, too, of just continuing to climb, um, you just kind of wonder uh, what happens when, you know, in your mind, you say, OK, I'm done climbing for a little bit. Like, do you freak out, you know, 
And I don't yeah, know. I've never I mean, gotten there. I know one day that it has to come where right? you fucking burn yourself out. Uh, so, you know, I think eventually there needs to be some type of break where you let your mind think and be. But I think that's just like life. Anything you do that you're good at it, it can become all consuming. And I think you have to constantly be uh, asking yourself questions, you know, at, at every turn, like you have to be open to the idea that you there may be at a point you would you don't want to do this that's okay you know you could you could hit a ceiling with this and go like okay i actually i don't want to do this anymore maybe i want to do some whole other shit and you just have to be open to that and not afraid of change yeah i think that's that's I think that's a tough thing to internalize sometimes but i mean those are true, really true words um Looking back at uh, at your career, is there? Do you have jokes that you regret? Do you ever regret a joke? No. Do you have uh, jokes where you were like, "I could have gone that extra step, and I wish I did. I wish I took that to the next uh, level." All the time. Yeah. All the time. If you, you know, I feel like every time I do a special, I go back and I'm like, "Oh, I could have added this. I could have said that. Oh, there's more to that joke. I should have." Oh, I just thought about this. And I, I had said that a long time ago, but it fits with that. And that probably would have made that point a lot clearer. I just, all the time. I don't think yeah. it's ever going to sit and be perfect, you know? Right, right. But I, I always feel like after you film the special, then like three shows later, when you're not thinking about any of it, you're like, damn, that was a special. What the hell? I think that you always feel like, man, I mean, it's always... The night you have to capture is the night you have to capture. It's always better when you're just doing it. So, like, yeah. I think you'll always feel better when you have those sets that just come in a moment and they fucking go crazy. You'll always go like, oh, I wish I would have got this one. You know, we're like, that's just not how the, the sauce gets made. Yeah, you can't have a camera crew go with you to every single thing. You go broke pretty quick doing that. Yeah. And there is some too about no camera kind of you just saying, yeah, this doesn't this. Yeah. It's a little freer somehow, somewhere deep psychologically. I don't know. So it's just different. Me. Like you, you think that like you'll, you'll have these nights where you fucking crush and you're like, that's the special. But if you watched it, you probably would go, no, it's not because <laughs> you're in that moment and you're in that moment with that audience. When you make it a special, you make it a special for a bunch of people who are sitting at home. So it is a little more surgical and it does need to be, there's, there's a precision job in there that that is necessary to relay that shit to a person sitting on their couch. And so like, those magical moments, I, I've accepted they're really just magical moments and they belong in that one evening. But a lot of times if you could sit back and look at the tape, you'd be like, this isn't a special. Like I kind of went wild right here. I kind of, you know what I mean? It just like, this isn't what would make a good special, but it was a good night. Yeah. Yeah, that that's true. I haven't really thought about that because a lot of times you're like, I know that felt better in the room, you know, but there is just some magic in that room it's not you know that the audio was off or whatever or you're listening to the crowd laughs you're like weren't those things bigger you know maybe just in my head i don't know but um we're almost done here but i just wanted to touch on snl for um a second like um what what's that what was that experience like for you and like is that something that you as a comedian coming up we're always looking to that as like the the standard or, or the thing to get, or did it just kind of happen? Well, it just kind of happened. Um, it just kind of happened, but I mean, I'm appreciative of it. 
it was a great experience. I learned a lot. I grew a lot. Uh, I think I, I grew a lot as a professional in this business. Like that was my first job, like job, you know, mm-hmm. I, like I never had a job in comedy kind of really before that. Like I did like a little MTV show, but it's like, you know, you're being on cast. You did for like a month. You show up. It was just like a little weird game show thing. It didn't really require that much of me. Um, where this was a job, you know, you show up Monday through Saturday, you got your times, you got to be in, you got a badge, you, you got to swipe into the building. It's a job, you know? So yeah. it was my first job and it, it taught me, um, yeah, it taught me how to be a professional. It, it made me a better writer. It, it made me a producer. I wasn't a producer at all. I don't think before that job, I think I thought like a producer to some degree, but I didn't understand the applicable knowledge of it all. So it it definitely just grew me overall as a, as a, as a comic and as a professional. Did those sort of job type restrictions make you feel a certain way about comedy, like to where it was a job, like where you had to go do it? Or do you think it just made you stronger because it maybe put you into a a structure well, for a while. Comedy, right? It wasn't my personal stand-up. It was a writing job for a show. So like I still got to live how I wanted through my stand-up. Like it, it it held no control over that part of my life. Um it just was in that space doing that thing. So it didn't and it was also like challenging and new and I wanted to do it. I wanted to learn it. I wanted to figure it out. I wanted to be good at it. So, it, you know, in that way, as grueling and sometimes um, mentally taxing as it could be, it was also like fun and like I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? So it never really got there. It just it, there was just times it was just stressful, you know, and it was just it's a it's a intense, uh, high performance job. And like sometimes I can fuck with you. Yeah, I've I've heard um, that kind of said a lot is it uh what makes that job so intense is that it's a weekly basis kind of thing or is it the pressure of the the gig what what makes that so intense uh, i think it's everything that you said you know like it's live television you you're doing it weekly uh you know every week there's a goal that is to execute the show um you have expectations, you know, you're working for somebody. <laughs> so you have yeah. expectations. You're working with a lot of very talented people who are very, very good at what they do. And you don't want to be the weak link on the chain, you know? So you want to be very good at what you're bringing to the table. Uh, you're dealing with super duper famous people and they're under their own pressure to have a good show. And so that, and that, in the show is under pressure to give them a good show, you know? So it is just a lot happening. Yeah. It's kind of like the perfect storm for stress. Everything you just said. Um, last question uh, before I let you go, we got Christmas coming up. Uh, what is your favorite Christmas tradition from as a kid? Leaving cookies for Santa. What kind did you uh, leave him? Sugar cookies with sprinkles. Do you make them? Yeah, I would make them with my mom. Mm-hmm. I always did the ones with the like Hershey's Kiss on them or whatever. I mm. what those are called. They're just called Kisses. I don't know. And then favorite Christmas movie? I guess it's probably between The Grinch Who Stole Christmas 
and Charlie Brown. Have you seen um, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas with the with the sad Christmas tree? Right? Did you like that Christmas tree, or were you upset with that Christmas tree? I felt bad for Charlie Brown. He always, you know, got a bad deal. He did get a bad deal, man. He got over it, though. I think that's a lesson there. He was a good sport. He was, yeah. Do you, have you ever seen Hook? What you mean? It's a Peter Pan movie, Hook. Oh, have I Disney seen movie. Hook? Yeah. yeah, I've seen Hook. Have you seen it recently? No, I probably haven't watched Hook in years. Like I hadn't. 15, it's, probably, it's a long time. I'm with you. You should watch it again because, oh my God, there's like, when I was a kid, I remember like, Rufio, Bangarang, you know, like, Pan's flying, the food fight. I watched it now. And like, there's this weird sexual energy between Peter Pan and Wendy in that, you know, because they had a thing. And also Tink tries to slide, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was always there. But I wasn't paying attention to it. And then the way- was jealous because she was a Peter. Yeah, that was always happening. Then like the way he runs away, like the wind comes and carries the the bassinet or the bond, I don't know how you say it, the little stroller carries the stroll, and that was him running away. He didn't have a choice to run away. The wind blew his thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. You didn't get all that? I mean, I got it, but like, <laughs> it's it's so bizarre. I feel like there are a couple plot things in there, but I, I love the movie. I mean, it's great. <laughs> I just didn't realize like that he was his grandma's, his wife's grandma, that like they had some, they almost made out at the end. Cause that was a shorty, but that's not a shorty no more. She got old, but he didn't get old, so he can't be with her. See the way the way you're explaining it back to me, it's it's um doesn't sound as bad anymore. So I appreciate it. No, it makes perfect sense. She was young, he was young, but he was stuck in Neverland, so he couldn't grow up. She did grow up, so it wasn't perverted. They met at the right age, but he didn't grow up, and she grew up. So then when he comes out of that. She's like her kid, like the person he was married to is a reflection of her. So, of course, he would fall in love. But now he's older, like he doesn't remember all that other shit, bro. Okay, last one. (laughs) Wendy Moira. Moira is sitting, is laying in bed. She's sleeping. And then Pan sees her and he's like, I'm going to give her a kiss. And he leaves a little thimble. And then he was like, no, Wendy, I'm going to give her a real kiss. And Wendy's just standing over looking at this. But that girl's sleeping. She can't consent to that. That was a sweet love story. Just let it be that. <laughs> All right. You know what? You know what the problem is? Here's the problem. <laughs> I, I grew up and I watched that movie. That's it. <laughs> I grew up. There you are, Peter. That's what I got to do. I got to look in the mirror and pull my shit up. That's what I got to do. I'm going to figure this out, but I appreciate you being with me. No, here no now. problem. I'm glad we finally got to do it. Have a good one. Have a great Christmas. Make some sugar cookies with the sprinkles on top with your fiance and tell her I say hi. I will. Thank you so much, bro. All right. Thank you. We'll see you. Folks, uh, that is it for this week's episode of the Cripes Cast. Make sure you follow Sam J comedian on all platforms and check her out at the improv. Colleen, what's the improv website again? Go to improv.com slash Milwaukee. She'll be coming in the spring. And um, yeah, that's, that's what's coming up in Milwaukee. Perfect. Colleen, thank you very much uh, for producing the Cripes cast. Hannah Milos, thank you for editing. 
Thanks to all of you for listening. Colleen's got fireworks going up behind her in the Zoom now. I got to figure out that effect. And uh, thank you all for listening. Watch out for deer, and we will see you next week. So roll out the barrel and get the band brewing. Life's got you down. Just keep her moving. It's on Wisconsin. The Badgers say it's the old Wisconsin Jubilee. You know, sometimes when you're ice fishing, you put your foot in the walleye hole and go ass over tea kettle, and you think you're done. No, you got to keep her moving. <laughs>